Well, I want to talk about love today. He is love. In 1 John 4.10, you know, it says, Herein is love. And so that's the title of my message today. Herein is love. You know, love is all we have. That sounds like words from the Beatles, but it, it doesn't count that they say that. It counts that God says that. Amen. And when you think about it, just, just think about it. That's all we have is love. It's the love of God which uh, has saved us and gives us eternal life. Without love, we just end up as skeleton in the grave. You know, but with love, we end up in eternal life. So it's awesome. So the love of God comes to us in our Savior. Of course, you know this, the Lord Jesus Christ. His love should direct our day. And it should meet our needs. And it should strengthen our lives. I think probably the church itself should talk more about the love of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the power of God. Because uh, when you face the world on Monday and you face the bills and you face all of the news and you face all those things, you start to wonder where the strength is. The strength is there, church. The power of God is there and the healing is there and eternal life is there. And it's because of his love. So I know I'm preaching to the choir, and I love every one of you, and you can just uh, just join me in this message this morning and know that the power of God's love is what keeps us. And um, I read this somewhere, and I wrote it. It says, his love is not a starry-eyed feeling. It's not a fuzzy thing, but it's strong and tough as a wooden executor's cross and as eternal as the universe beyond. When you think about the cross and his execution, and we think about how powerful was his love, he had the strength to come off of the cross. He could have came off the cross. He could have been disobedient. How many know about disobedience? It's so bound in the children. We've got children in our family now. And they're just so precious, and you just love them to death, and you squeeze them, and then their parents say something to them, and they go, no. You know how that goes, and then the parents have to correct them. And and it's just bound in our heart to be rebellious because of sin nature. And uh, so the love of God transforms us, amen? There's so much controversy in the Christian world today. So many methods, so many doctrines, so many kinds of churches. And it's funny, but every church has just a little bit of a different thing, you know. And yet we're all one in Christ. And so, you know, one might think that the church is seeking to please people, especially the youth. They want the youth. We desire the youth. We need the youth. And sometimes we let them do what they want rather than they should learn, the Bible says, from their elders. So the church has cuddled them a little bit. And uh, they may not know that the love comes from sacrifice. Any kind, any kind of love that we have, whether it's natural love or holy love, 
it's all of a sacrifice. How many know that? And so uh, love has a great price. So let us see and experience the love of Christ was meant to forge a standard in us. God wants us to have a standard of holiness, a standard of goodness. Holiness doesn't mean that we're all pious and got our hair up to the heavens, you know. Holiness means it's something that is in our heart that is toward God and it keeps us from doing things we shouldn't do. And it tempts and it, and it, it tempts us or it convicts us. I probably should use the conviction better than tempt. The world tempts us, but God convicts us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And uh, those that are in relationship and those that are in marital situations, you know that it takes a sacrifice to, to maintain your dignity and your love toward one another. So today I just want us to experience uh, a fresh anointing of the love of Christ and, and a standard within us that we are Christians, so we are not better than anybody, but we are different than anybody. And so we meditate here this morning. I just, uh, in worship, I just wanted us to meditate in the music. The music is so anointed. Thank you, Jesus, for it. And I just wanted us to sit there and, and you know, just kind of melt in his presence. So 1 John 4.10 is the text today. Herein is love. And this is powerful, church. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Now, I know that probably every one of you have read that scripture and probably can quote it with me. But the thing that stood out to me afresh was that he loved us first. You know, it's he loved us when we were whatever we were. He loved us. He loved us first. And he was willing to send his son to die for us before we were even committed to him. And you know how that is. Somebody does a job on your house, you go like, don't pay him till they get it done. <laughs> how many know what I'm saying, right? Because if you, do, if you do pay him, they don't always get it done, you know. But God is not like that. You know, he did it for us before we did anything for him. And that's just awesome because that's what his love is. It, it's a, it's an it's an unconditional love at first, and then we come to him, and then it, it's conditional. He wants us to love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our spirit. Romans 5, 8, 9 says, God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. You know, it's nice to love somebody that's nice and somebody that's good and somebody that you can trust, but he loved everyone the same and not everyone was recipient of that love in a pure way. But it says, while we were yet sinners, he loved us. He died for us. And much more than that, he justified us by his blood. And we shall be saved. And I love this part. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Everybody talks about the end times. And some people say you're going to go through the this you're going to not do that i don't know what we're going to do but i know what the scripture says it says he will save us from wrath he's going to get us out of here before the final wrath whenever that is and it's so important he justified us by his blood 
Every, every, every store you go into, it's pitch red everywhere. They've got red banners, red announcements, red candy, red hearts, red, red, red. And I just think they don't even know it. But that is a sign of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it justifies us and gives us an eternal destination. So think of this. God takes the initiative to love us beyond the point of sacrifice. We talk about sacrifice, but beyond sacrifice is death. And that's how much God loved us. You know, I know the church knows this, but why do you think it's Valentine's season? It might be that they just put it on the calendar for the children, but I believe it's on the calendar to remember Christ and to once again return to our first love and think about our first love, what drew us to Christ and why do we want to serve him and how thankful we are that we have a Savior to serve. Um, I think it would be great to to stop and, and just meditate on that for a minute because, you know, we live in such a fast pace. We read the scriptures fast. We, read, we sing our songs fast. We come to church fast. We leave fast. We go to dinner fast. You know, we live in a fast society, and it takes away that meditation that God wants us to have when we read his word. And so I, I said, well, we should just, so this morning I was just like, wait, wait, wait. Let the presence of the Lord fill the house. Wait, wait, wait. You know, it was so hard to do that. But we must wait in his presence. We never can hear from him if we don't wait to hear from him. And uh, so it's so much more. A Valentine's Day is so much more than just a card that we send to each other. You know, it is a it is a reminder. And we remind each other that we love each other. You know, but beyond that, we have to remember the power of God's love. You know, it doesn't matter what happened in our life. He forgives us. We are whole and clean before him because his blood justifies us. And I know that you know that. But let's be reminded today. Let's take time to contemplate the price that Jesus paid for our salvation and for us to have this love. He paid a price. He paid his life. And uh, I know we know it, but we need to be so mindful of it from day to day. We may, you know, we may love somebody today and tomorrow somehow it's a broken situation. But, you know, God never breaks communion with us. He might look at us and say, you got to change that, dear. You know, this does not glorify me, dear. But he never says, get out. He never says, I'll leave you. In fact, he wrote in his word, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. And sometimes we are nasty and we probably need to be forsaken for a moment. But he never leaves us. What he does is convicts us and he makes us come to forgiveness and he makes us come to change and he makes us come. There's no condemnation in him. He, He says he loved the world. He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So when we feel that condemnation, it's not condemnation. It's a nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, turn around, go in the right direction. John 5, 24 
It says, For verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, believe upon God that sent Jesus, he hath everlasting life and hath not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. You know, I'm so glad that he doesn't condemn us. You know, he doesn't find fault with us. It's so easy to find fault with one another, isn't it? It's just so easy. But he never finds fault with us. He looks beyond our faults. I love that song. John three sixteen and 17, and you know 16, he loves us. He loved the world. He gave his, himself for it. But it says God sent not his son to condemn us. He sent his son to love us, to forgive us, to nudge us in the right direction. Some of us may have had a bad start in life or a grievous experience in our life. Some of us may have not under had family relationships of love. I'm thankful that I did. And some of us may have had hardship here and there. And, and, and there are times maybe when we felt neglected or pushed aside, you know. But if we've experienced those things, we have the understanding of God's love. And that love never leaves us. It, 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 it never condemns us. And it never finds fault with us. It is always a pure love coming toward us. I mean, we can we even comprehend that? It's hard to comprehend that, isn't it? We, we probably can remember that, how our mother loved us, you know. But God's love is so valuable to us. It is health to our life. You know, uh, it is the beginning of healing when we face the fact that we've had hardships and we just lean on God's love. Whatever experience that's transpired in your life that has wounded you, if that has happened, just think about the love of God. Hang on to his love. It's healing. It's help. It's mercy. It's grace. It's just wonderful. And he justifies us. That, that means he, he makes us okay. Sometimes we don't feel okay. I don't know if okay is the right word, but sometimes we don't feel important. And God brings the importance to our life through the power that he would die for us. You know, I, I think that that is the most powerful thing that we can think in our life when we go through hardships is that God loves us enough to die for us. So surely he will see us through this crisis. Christ was set apart as God's love to us to teach us and love requires sacrifice. To know the love of God is so important. Ephesians 3.16, I'd like you to turn there with me this morning. In Ephesians 3.16, this is powerful scripture. It says that God would grant us according to his riches in glory. This morning, the Spirit of God spoke about the glory covering the earth and the waters of, of the Spirit of God. And I thought as I began to go over the scripture and I was sitting there and I thought, that's so powerful because it says God would grant you according to his riches, his glory. You know, sometimes we look at ourselves and we evaluate ourselves and we don't think that we're very rich according to some richness. But we are rich in the glory of God. 
And he wants us to be strengthened with might by his spirit in our inner man. Oh, church, we need that. That Christ might dwell in our heart by faith. That we might be rooted and grounded in his love. Verse 18 says that we might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. You know, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When is the last time you felt full of God? Probably when we come to church and we worship together and we talk about him and we greet one another, you know, with a holy hug if we're not afraid of the germs. And, you know, that's when we feel the fullness of God. Think about that. You don't always feel it at home in all your trials and tribulations. But when you come into his house, into his presence with the body of Christ, that's what he said, why he said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because you, you greet one another and it's like the Holy Spirit is in all of us and it's just churning and it's just powerful to be in his house. So verse 19 says, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think according to the power that worketh in us. We need to read that scripture. I imagine you know that scripture. But we forget sometimes that his power is working in us. His power will override the distress of the day. His power will override the fear of the hour his power will override our country's problems because his power is more powerful than the works of darkness unto him be glory in the church you know the holy spirit talked to us about his glory today unto him be glory in the church by christ jesus throughout all ages world without end it's, it's what is this glory? It is in us. I love it in the church. I love it in the music. I love it in the fellowship. It's in us. That's what it is. We can set the pace in our home, you know. We can set the pace for the glory of the Lord to just be as a balm of Gilead in our house. Love always take, makes a sacrifice, church. <clears throat> Many a mom has felt that sacrifice as they've taken care of the children and cleaned the house and continued to work all day and still have to work when the dad gets home. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Love will always take sacrifice, church. God's love breathes in and out among us, spirit of life. You have a spirit of life, church. You know, the world has a spirit. They don't have the spirit of this life in Christ. They have the spirit of the flesh, spirit of the world, the things that draw them. But to have the spirit of the fullness of God is special to us. <coughs> well, <clears throat> you sing that song, Let It Breathe On Me. We need the breath of God, don't we? I had a sermon a couple of weeks ago and I talked about 
God met us at birth when he breathed into us. And what will we do with that breath? What will we do with that life? And uh, he continues to breathe in us when we're naughty. He continues to breathe in us when we're nice. He continues to breathe in us when we want to be holy and we want to be uh, upright before him. He breathes in us no matter what because he is our God and he loves us. Now the challenge, church, in this message today, the challenge is the next part of the scripture. It says, love you one another as I have loved you. That's the challenge, to love everyone as Jesus loved me. I think about all the things that God has brought me through and all the times his love has protected me and loved me and kept me. And even when I was undeserving, his love was there. Now, that's how we're supposed to love one another. And I tell you, it just takes a little hurt for us to have a hard time to love one another. Do you know what I'm saying, church? Something can offend you or something can hurt you, and that love can just dwindle. That's the challenge, that we can love one another as Jesus loves us. When you want to be angry with someone, you have to remember how God loves you and what he does in you and how he protects you, and you have to love them no matter the crisis. I need to hear this. How has he loved us? By the sacrifice of his own life. What a challenge to love each other in that manner that we would be willing to sacrifice for one another. Now, I love you girls and you guys, two guys here today. And we love each other and we probably could sacrifice for one another here today because we have love in our heart for one another. But someone who has wounded you Deeply, can you still love them as Christ loves them? And God is dealing with us in this capacity. You know, that Bible says, by this shall all men know. You're my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't even say, if you have love for me. He says, you'll be known as my disciple if you love them. Love one another. That's a great challenge, and this is the greatest challenge of all. From Luke 6, 35, 37. Love ye your enemies, and do good to them, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward will be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Now, I knew that we were supposed to love our enemies. But I tell you, when I read that last phrase, I thought, when did I miss that? It says, for he is kind to the unthankful and to the evil. How many times have we said, well, I'd help them, but they don't deserve it. Or we see something like that. We see that poor man standing on the corner with his sign. We judge him immediately. Should he be there? Is it really good? Is he really right? Does he need this? You know, all those things. But God loves him. That's what the word says. He says, be kind to those that are unthankful. That would be the sinner. And that could be a Christian who is not too thankful. 
because God loves them. I just thought that was awesome. And you want to be a child of the highest? (laughs) If you want to be a child of the highest, you have to love your enemies and you have to be kind to the unthankful and the evil. But Jesus, Jesus' gift is always available to everyone. Isn't that awesome? I, 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 I'm sorry, but I like to pick and choose. And I'm sure that humanity likes to pick and choose, but we don't have that, we don't have that freedom. We have to love one another the same. And we have to be, have a merciful spirit. See, verse 36 says, and he must have known it was going to be hard for us to love the unthankful and the evil and to lend and to do good to our enemies because in 36 he says, be ye therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Forgive and be forgiven. I tell you something. How many love the mercy of God? We love the mercy of God, but we've got to portray that mercy to others. And mercy means you need help. Mercy means you did something wrong and you need God to forgive you. I get a ticket when I drive. I have had a ticket. I don't have any now, and I haven't had any for a while. But when I was younger, I would always think, I'm going to go to the judge with this ticket, and I'm going to ask for mercy. I never had the guts to do it. But you know, you 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 know, see, mercy is when you're when you're in trouble. You know, when you should have done something that you didn't do, and you should have responded in a way, and you responded wrong. And listen, church, we don't always do that openly. Okay, we don't always respond nasty to something that hurts us, but deep inside, we do respond, and we keep it inside, and it hurts us. And, it, and it, it grieves the Holy Spirit, you know. And so we have to be merciful. So when we're merciful, that means we forgive. Maybe they never ask us to forgive. Maybe they never tell us why they said what they said, blah, blah, blah. But we have to have a merciful spirit. And I think that's a really big thing because I think it goes so often, little things go so often, unforgiven, they hurt, so they just, they're, they're hid instead of forgiven, and mercy covers it all. So I want us to think about that. He said, first of all, he asked that we have to be kind to the unruly and the evil because he is, and he is our love. Then he says, therefore, be merciful. God created his love in the greatest gift, which is Christ. In Christ, there is no dietary laws. Thank you, Jesus. There's no religious or civil laws. Thank you, Jesus. So many restrictions. Read the book of Leviticus. Yeah, that one. (laughs) Read those books and read those instructions. I mean, to the ladies that have to do cooking, you have to cook a certain way. and You have to use a pan for this and a pan for that. You know, it's bad enough you have to use two pans for spaghetti and you and you want to leave that till the next day to wash it. But now you've got pans for butter and pans for milk. And, you know, the restrictions are astronomical. And Jesus came and relieved us of all of that, church. I talk about that a lot. 
But unless you read about it, unless you see what the Israelites had to conform to, you will have mercy upon them because it is and not only that, they had to kill their cow, you know, they had to kill their lamb, they had to do all of that work. Oh, God is so good to us, church. He has He has relieved us from so much through Christ, and there's no bondage. Israelites were in bondage when God would get after them and He would punish them and He would correct them. You know, and then they would miss out on the goal and they'd have to go longer before they got to the promised land. But God's love in Christ redeemed us from all that. And he's so merciful that he follows us and he dogs our footsteps to keep us righteous and to keep us right before him. Because if he didn't nudge us all the time, we'd go our own way. But he nudges us and keeps us on the straight and narrow. And thank God for Jesus. Amen. Well, the requirements are gone. Now it's a heart thing. He he wants us to love him with our heart, with our mind, with our strength. You know, if you can't sing and, and preach, you can come and clean. You know, whatever it is that you can do, you can do it for the kingdom of God. Because that's how he loves us. It's so important to know that we're relieved. We don't like instructions. Do you like instructions? How many put a bi- get a bicycle and they try to put it together, you know, and it's upside down and wrong? And it, We don't like to read instructions. I see that in children. They get little things that have to be put together, and they open it up, and they're so excited. They throw the instructions over there, and they try to put it together. And guess what? That thing won't walk because it wasn't put together right, you know. We don't like instructions. And if we were in the Old Testament, we would be so bound by the laws. And here we are in the New Testament with Christ who loves us and who forgives us. And all he does is nudge us to keep us on the right and the narrow way. Mark 12:30 says thou shalt love the Lord thy God. You know this. Your heart, your strength, the first commandment, second commandment's the hard one because you have to love your neighbor as God loves us. And you should do for your neighbor what you would do for yourself. It's hard to do that when you have a neighbor that runs over your drive and messes up your flowers and you know, you want to go out there and get after them instead of stand there and say, Hi, neighbor, here's the love of Jesus, here's the mercy, here's the grace. God wants so much from us, and he has bestowed so much love on us. I hope you feel his love today that he has bestowed upon us. Now, my final thought today is that he loves us, and if we return that love, I mean, sincerely return that love, we can be a friend of God. Abraham was a friend of God. And the Bible says in John fifteen fourteen and 16, it says, ye are my friends. If you do whatsoever, I command you. You follow me. Henceforth, I, I don't call you servants, but I call you friends. For all things that I have heard of my father, I make known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. You know, 
if you ever played on a ball team and you were the last to be chosen, you know how you feel standing there when they when they choose everybody and finally you get chosen. But see, standing before God, we're chosen. He doesn't pick and choose. Everyone is chosen by God. Then it's up to us to follow him and to be one of his chosen. And I think that's so important. He says, you know, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And remember, he loved us. We didn't love him. He loved us first in that while we were yet sinners. And now we have so much to give back. He said we should go and bring forth fruit and our fruit should remain. Well, somebody might say, what kind of a fruit tree are you? You know, what is it about fruit? Well, it's about what can we do for him? How can we do something that will glorify the kingdom of God? The greatest way is helping one another, is seeing one another in need, being mindful of something besides ourselves, and being mindful that someone right next to us might need an encouraging word They might need a couple of bucks to get home. You know, we can be sensitive and the Holy Spirit can speak to us and tell us somebody loves us here. Don't forget to pick up your little package. It's up here on the thing. This is a love gift. It's yummy. Somebody bore fruit this morning. They showed their love. They bound it up and they brought it. To, show, to say, I, I love you. That's the fruit. You know, just loving one another, being good to your husband, being good to your wife. The fruit of God, you know, and, and being good to the church, help the church. We're getting ready to restore the sacristy. It's had 20 years of visitors, and it needs to be refreshed. And we need help. Those are things that we can do. Brother Leonard is here all the time. The sweeper is going, it seems like. And I am so appreciative that the house is always clean. It's never dirty. It's always clean. I mean, after church on Sunday, it's clean. And I thank God so much for that. And there's so many people in this house that do little things like that behind the scenes. You don't see those guys up there. Every Sunday, taking care of the, the the discs and things, and you don't see Don back there until after he he's, he doesn't get to lunch. He's back there doing things. God is good to us in this house. People are helpful. That's bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you what, you miss that fruit when it's not there. You don't real, you don't recognize how yummy and how fresh that fruit is. Phyllis and I come and nobody's here. Who's going to raise up the piano lid? And today, Linda got here before us almost. And we had to get the Phyllis's out there trying to get the door open. We're trying to get the second door open. And she's holding me with and doing something there. We got it done. But it's, you know, usually when we come, the lights are on and everything is fixed and ready. So, you know, that's bearing fruit, those people who help. And and God has been good because some have noticed that those are not there, and now they're starting to help us with those things. And so there's a lot of things that go on. You know, we mail out, uh, just so do you know, we mail out like maybe 110 or 20 uh, 
bulletins. We mail out bulletins to the people that aren't here. We mail out, mail out bulletins to the prisoners that are part of our fellowship. And uh, so there's a lot of things that go on before church starts on Sunday. And I'm thankful to God for everything that every one of you do. Bless you so much. Bear fruit for the kingdom of God. Our testimony can be fruit for the kingdom. You know, when somebody else is swearing because something goes wrong and, and we don't swear, we don't take the Lord's name in vain, that's bearing fruit. We have a testimony of Christ is righteous and we don't do that. So, and, and loving one another, that's good fruit. Having devotions, having a prayer life, all of that will bear fruit for the kingdom. My final message, my final thought today is from Psalm forty sixteen. It says, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. I think about that when I get discouraged or get things bother me. But we're supposed to seek him and rejoice and be glad. That's supposed to be our mode in which we live, that we seek the Lord. You know, why, why, why do we seek him? Well, God, this happened and I didn't like it and this hurt me and this I'm discouraged. And, uh, brother, just to, just to have one of our students came to see me this week. He's dressed beautiful. He's a beautiful man. He's a tall, dark man. And he came to just talk. He's one of our students. He's in his final doctorate program. And he, we just was talking about things. And he's telling me how great his church is. And, and I, oh, yeah, my church is great. But then he got into numbers. He got into numbers. So guess where I went? You know, but I'm not discouraged. You know, but the Bible says that we should be glad and rejoice. And when he left, I thought, I can't. I have to thank God. I thank God for what we have, and I thank God for what he wants to do in this house. And he said somewhere I read that little things are important to him. So here we are. We're serving God with all the gusto that we can, and we are still doing things for the kingdom of God. So it says, let us rejoice and be glad. Let, us, let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord may be magnified. When I got to my sermon after that, I said, oh, Lord, be magnified. It was, pretty, it was a pretty little weak one. But now I'm saying, Lord, be magnified. Be magnified in me. Because if he can magnify anything for his glory, man. It says, I'm poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help, my deliverer, oh my God. No greater valentine than our God. 